Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, 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 my listening audience. It's your girl, Barbara McGee, coming live with Straight Talk. And we are here in the penthouse tonight, courtesy of www.225cl.com and Galaxy Talk Radio. And I'm just so glad to be in the penthouse with my executive producer and rising uh, wealth expert, uh, Mr. Rodney Seth. Rodney, how are you today? Hey, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, as time passes, it just gets better with time. Oh, I love it. Do you remember that song? I love that song. Yes, absolutely. And I love that group, another Bay Area group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we always want to give that shout out. Anyway, I just want to say that we're so happy you guys could join us. And we always want you to go to www.t25cl.com and check out uh, the website, check out the film, check out the projects, and, of course, support independent artists. You can uh, support, get music, you can download poetry, you know, just check out the website and be who you want to be. We're so thankful for that. Anyway, today is a great day in the penthouse because today we're going to have a special guest, one of my favorite people, keynote speaker at a recent graduation of over 1,500 students from a esteemed college in San Diego, uh, she is known as Nanette Perryman, but I know her as a beautiful, very elegant, very educated, well-organized African-American woman who is pro-higher education, and I am just so happy to have her on Straight Talk Live. She's here today. Say hello, Nanette. Hi, this is Yannette with Real People Consulting. Well, nice so to be here with you all today. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, I'm just so happy to know we also have your sister, who also is a recent, recent graduate from higher education. And uh, could you state your name? She's on our panel today. State your name for the folks so they know who's on the panel today. This is Sharnice Perryman. Oh, wonderful. Hi. Glad to have you as well. All right, ladies. Well, we do have a caller waiting. So, caller, you hang on. Let's just get the setup going, and then we'll bring in our caller. All right, so tonight on Straight Talk, we're going to kind of do a little overview about uh, the current situation of U.S. education and what we need to do as citizens to bring about a success rate that is exemplary, that is better than what's going on right now, uh, that will be above what perhaps uh, Betty DeVos has planned for us, and that will be guaranteeing us a solid, equitable future 
And that's what people are looking for. We're looking for a piece of equity in the process. So we're going to talk about higher education, the education dilemma, and the missed education in the United States. All right, so we want to start with you. Annette, tell us a little bit about your business. Tell us about how you decided to uh, change your life and get involved with higher education. I don't really know your story from your backdrop, but give us a little idea about how you ended up being keynote speaker at the recent graduation for Ashford University. Go ahead. That was an exciting um, event, the Ashford University 2017 graduation. Um, I was invited by the alumni staff. I was interviewed and vetted and asked to um, be one of the keynote speakers. And, of course, there was an opportunity that I could not turn down. So I prepared myself and um, was happy to be there. Uh, my organization is Real People Consulting, and I provide organizational change management. Um, and it is a framework for managing the effect of new business processes, change in organizational structure or culture, changes in um, enterprises. Simply put, uh, OCM, Organizational Change Management, addresses the people side of change management. Um, and I started this business approximately three and a half years ago um, when I worked for the President's Office of Everett Waters College, um, to helping that college develop new processes and implementing new processes and assisting um, the president with special events. So I found that there was a need for organizational change management um, because sometimes people get stuck in their old ways. Mm. And so part of my personal niche is to listen to a process um, or listen to an issue and develop a solution. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, we all need solutions. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about education and how you you have to make that a lifestyle commitment. I think a lot of people have not yet, have failed to yet realize that you have to always be in the midst of reconnecting, re-energizing, refocusing, relearning, recertifying, and, you know, you just have to stay focused on continuing to add to your current uh, I don't know, dossier or your resume. Rodney, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I was listening to Yvette's um, uh, commentary in regards to her solutions and her her findings of her her job. My my the only thing that came to mind is is this is is it regarding the habits or the personalities? Which 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 one are are you focusing on with the organization of skills? Because I'm 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 curious to see if it's habits or personality, and I got something to fall back on it. So, what do you focus on? Are you focusing on people's habit in the organizations, or are you focusing on people's personality in the organizations? Are you saying that there are old habits that need to be renewed? Are there old personalities that need to be reviewed? Which which one do you do? Oh, good question. Yeah, that's a great uh, question and comment. Rodney, um, organizational change management focuses on human behavior. So let's say your company wants to implement a new process and they want to spend millions of dollars on implementing a new software. And for 
the past 20 or 30 years, you all been using this dinosaur software that's outdated, that's slow, that's stagnated. It doesn't produce the quality reports. It doesn't produce the quality data. So with my specialty and my expertise, I come into the organization and I prepare people for, number one, learning and receiving knowledge. I prepare people to accept change. I motivate people to accept change. I present training opportunities so that the company can make a smooth transition in spending this millions of dollars on the new software. You don't want to spend money on software and then have 20 or 30 people in your organization who are disgruntled, who are dissatisfied, who are unhappy, who are not going to perform. So you have to prepare people for that change. And thankfully, um, because of my niche, my resolution niche, uh, Ashford University gave me additional knowledge base expertise on how to handle that for organizations. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, everybody, you're listening to Straight Talk Live. We've got a couple of uh, 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 right now that are on listening, and we're going to bring them in. I, I want to go uh, back to you. Um, Rodney? Yeah. Rodney? Yes, I'm still here. Oh. I'm, uh, I'm going uh, to just I, I thought I lost something. my feed there. That's okay. I, I, I want to go back to uh, the thought of what actually is education? Why do we have to have it? What is the necessity of having education, period, and why do we send our kids to school? I, I think that is something that I think we all really have to examine. So once we examine that, again, that then we'll figure out where the system is going wrong. Because what I took away from being at the event where you were the keynote speaker, there were so many people that were in, um, a, they were all over 35, and they were all graduating and moving forward with their BAs, their BSs, uh, their masters. And uh, it's just phenomenal to see 1,500 people that had worked so hard for a common goal. That was to move forward in their higher education. So, you know, I think that the, the actual complement of understanding that education started out being something that was driven by the Catholics. The Catholics set it up way back, way back like 1400s. And it used to be something where people were allowed to receive information about religion. And that was moral compass for the people because they were getting this information in a, a form of a hierarchy. But as they realized that this education system or the institution they were building was not necessarily going to drive people religiously. It needed to motivate them culturally. And this is where we get the current education system that we are now bound to. And so uh, you'll see remnants of that, like the dress that people wear and, and, and all the pomp and circumstance and all comes and stems from a hierarchy of understanding the process, being miseducated uh, to understand uh, the way things flow and go. Now, um, we have Miss, um, uh, can I see her name again on our panel? 
Shanti? Shanice. Shanice, there you are. Shanice, please tell us, what was your idea about gaining and getting high edu- higher education? Was that to reorganize your thoughts, reorganize your life? Was it something that you felt you were missing, or was it something that you felt was needed to put you on a different level? Tell us, just give us a little reason behind your motivation. Okay, my motivation came from the need to reinvent myself. Um, At the age of 48, I have exhausted every avenue as far as I I think, I I believe I went as far as I can go with education that I've already achieved and all the training that I've achieved. And it became very apparent to me that I need to up the ante because we are in a day and a time where they they are continually uh, moving the, the finish line. So the finish line had moved, so therefore I had to move with the finish line. And I came to realize that if I really want to put myself in a better position financially, economically for myself and my, for my family, that I had to do what it took in order to get there, which was to go and get uh, more education, to uh, better myself through education, and to enrich the lives not only for myself but for my children and my children's children. So I really saw that it was important at this uh, day and time that we are living in to get a higher education, not only just for myself, but for my children and my children's children as well. Just leave, want to leave a legacy of education for my family. I love what you said. I love that about what you said about the legacy for the family, of seeing you participate in a system, in an institution that will guarantee you a certain level of success in your life and beyond. I love that. We're going to take a call in now. We've got a caller coming in from New Jersey. Hey, you're live on Straight Talk. Did you have a question or a comment for the panel today? We're talking about education. Go ahead. State your name. Yes, this is Alex um, calling from the L.A. area. Wonderful. And well, we're so thankful to have you on. Go ahead. Yes, I was um, very impressed with your um, with your guest tonight um, with the change management. And I, I think um, I'll just make a comment. I think mm-hmm. whenever we're introduced with anything new, um, it's hard for human beings to accept change. So it's really important to see her. It's really important her. Somebody okay, you want to try that again? We're having a little problem with your sound. Try it again. Yes, I said it was really impressive to hear that she's an expertise in this area and um, changing the way humans perceive things. Um, so that was that was very nice to hear. And um, my comment regarding education is, uh, as my grandmother would say, if you don't have money, you got to at least feed your mind. you got to have knowledge, right? So uh, for us, especially Africans and African-Americans uh, today in America, we have to have targeted education because even though we go and uh, receive uh, higher learning, we may not always have the opportunities that others may have. That's my comment. Well, I, now I have a question for you. Now, the area in which you live, you say you live, and you have a little bit of a noise issue. So um, let me just say this. I thank you for calling in to Straight Talk Live, and I wanted to say this to you. I know you're in L.A., now, we have a new uh, U.S. Uh, uh, appointed department head of education, Betty DeVos. And uh, Betty DeVos has uh, actually placed herself in this position through donations for uh, breaking down the systematic uh, institution of what we know as public schools. And 
in Los Angeles where there is a, uh, I think it's very unique because Los Angeles has great, the best in the world private schools. I mean, you could pay $40,000, $50,000 a year and more if you find the right school for your child. And then you have uh, schools that are charter schools and you have to wait in line two, three blocks to get your little baby into uh, 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 the commitment for that year. Or there's the public school. So let me ask you, Betty DeVos is a very um, opinionated about having vouchers. How do you see vouchers working in Los Angeles County, and how would they affect minorities? Go ahead. Um, you're, you're referring to me? Um, yes. yes. Yes, I am. Um, yes. I, I, um, I don't think it's a good idea, especially for our community. And, and here's my reason and why. Um, most of us, the, the great majority of us, have um, <clears throat> were economically um, disenfranchised. So public school at this point in our history uh, needs to be available for us to be able to um, have that uh, state-funded avenue to educate our children. Um, I do believe in charter schools to some um, to some degree because there are some blacks and some minorities that can't afford to send their children there so they're able to have that choice. But I think um, decreasing the funding to public school is a great error that she's making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's a great error as well. I thank you, and please stay with us. We love having you. We're just going to mute you right now. We've got another call coming in. Yannette, uh, uh, we have one more call here. Let's take them in. Hey, you're live on Straight Talk. Uh, we're talking about education, as you know. I want to know your question or comment for myself, the panel, or Yannette tonight. Go ahead. Hello? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Do you have a question or comment tonight? I have a quick comment specifically on the last caller. Um, I kind of kind of disagree with the last caller in terms of uh, the fact that charter schools may or may not help. Um, I think that one of the things that we, the vouchers for charter schools, one of the things that I think is uh, important for everyone to understand, we've been doing the same thing with um, educating our children through public schools, and sometimes it works. Most of the time, it's kind of questionable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results, pouring more money into it that we don't have as a country mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is probably not going to take us any further. Every time we pour more money in it, we get better schools, we, we pay the teachers more salary, and they deserve it, of course. But it doesn't help our children. We still have 30 to 35 kids in every classroom speaking two or three languages. Well, I think I think that in, in and of itself is is questionable. I think we should try something else. We no, can't, can't wait three. We can't wait three or four generations. We can't wait three or four generations to uh, to uh, continue doing the same thing and expect that our children are going to be educated. Okay. Well, well, well how can you say you're not educated? The comment, the comment came, the comment came that we should, why we should or we should not try uh, to to be able to provide vouchers. Yeah, but your your comment, your comment said that we give the teachers more money 
they're going to do a better job. I don't. No, I, I don't no, 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 no. That's not that's not my I promise. I don't concur with the, the teachers. My, I don't think the educators need more money. I think I think what they need is a much more better approach. That's why I think Yvette Yvette approach is, is really really great in the fact that um she's looking at you know the the habits and the personalities and the behavior. That's why I agree. I agree with you. I agree. I mean, because if if, if I may. You know, I mean, because back when when the educational system wasn't questioned about how much you made, it was questioned on the values of America, Americans being Americans. They were looking at the inner city education, the urban city education, the suburban city education. Then they had advanced city education. Everybody knew that that was in America. And now today, for some odd reason, are you with me, Yvette? For some odd reason, yeah. it's it's like it's like. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it. It's it's you know what well, we think. We got we got vouchers over here. No vouchers were placed in the in the urban, in the inner city community. It was a a, a, a mechanism for assistant living. So why should we teach a child? Why should we teach a child who has a mind that's not even developed? Say, well, we're going to give you a voucher because we don't want you to think for yourself. We don't want you to try to understand and conceive things and be creative. I mean, I'm having a hard time. And I really think, my question to you, Yvette, do you think that the voucher system reinforces assistant living like welfare? I, I really, I'm, I'm really having a hard time with that. Yeah, okay, I think. I, I think there's been some miscommunication uh, regarding the voucher and whether or not it's good or bad. Um, the voucher system was developed to take children out of the inner city and maybe bust them to an out, outer, you know, to a better school or to a charter school or to a private school. Now, if we empty out all of the public schools, then that funding goes out of the inner city to the private schools, to the charter schools. Well, you know, we need our public schools because they're more accessible. Now, I'm not saying we don't need the voucher, but we also need to have choices. Right. And I think okay, that so the, government, the, the American government is failing when it comes to funding education I'm talking about nationwide. So the voucher is good, and it will work. And I think that they should not take money out of the public schools, because I used to go to school from my grandmother's backyard, go through the fence, and I was at my elementary school. If it had not been for that foundation and that public school, I would not have made it this far. Okay, well, so I'm not grateful right for public let, schools. Let me stop you right there. I want to go back to the gentleman. Gentlemen, uh, sir, uh, Northeast California, where are you from, please? I'm in Sacramento. Okay, you're in Sacramento. Okay, I'm familiar with Sacramento. I'm from Oakland. I'm from Sacramento, and I live in L.A. Okay, so I have a little bit of an understanding about Sacramento. And, uh, you know, it really becomes, and I want everybody to consider what I'm saying here, but, Rodney, it becomes a regional issue. Because when what I didn't like is coming to Alameda County and having to go down on 27th and Broadway and take my seven-year-old and 
not be able to select or be zip coded to what school she was going to, but that the superintendent and the district decided which school she would go to. And I had come there uh, with my daughter thinking that I would provide the address and the address would be attached to where she would go, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, it ended up being in a, a placement system that tried to divide the kids in certain areas uh, regarding the numbers in the classroom. Now, sir from Sacramento, let me tell you, everybody listening with my voice get this. $12,000 a year is attached to the back of every kid. Could you imagine that's what our government is spending? That's what is used, $12,000 a year per kid. So the, the thing with the voucher is if you could take that $12,000 and plug that into a private school, like let's say we could plug that into, sir, where you live, uh, Calvary Christian Center has a school. I'm very familiar with it. Yes. Let's say you could plug your kid in with your 12000 and take them over there. Um, this gives a, a, a unique opportunity for kids who um, need to have a more religious base to then now be considered in these private schools. But let me tell you about a voucher, and let me tell you about a private school. Your little Donnie and your little Sally with their $12,000 are not going to be able to go to the school you still desire because, <laughs> because the people who have money will move the school and change the rules. And that's kind of the way it goes because it's an elitist system. And when we realize that this is what we're on the brink of, is becoming a caste system. Now, I just want to throw this into, into the pile. I'm going to take a call from North Florida. But consider this. All these community colleges and all these high schools that we deem um, less than valuable for our little Zonnies and Sallies, there are parents in China that are sending their children over here paying a lot of money for the seat that your kid takes up in school. So, hey, this is a real issue, what we're having that's going on. Okay, I'm going to go to South Florida, get a comment there. Hey, you're live on Straight Talk. Did you want to uh, add to our conversation? We're talking about uh, education. And tell us where you're from and what area you're uh, focused on. Go ahead. Hello. Okay, we got a listener. We got a listener, and that's okay. We got a listener, Rodney. That's okay. All right. We're going to go to Georgia. Hey, you're live on Straight Talk. Did you want to tell us what city you're calling from and weigh in on this conversation? Go ahead. Okay. Got another listener, and that's okay. We love our listeners here. Okay, I want to go to Shawnee. Shawnee, I know you're in Oakland. You're in um, Oakland, California. Tell us, what do you think about the voucher? Go ahead. Well, we do realize that the voucher, the additional reason for the voucher was to enable um, underprivileged uh, children to be able to access the same education as the um, people who are economically able to do so. Uh, however, there's always going to be some sort of blurred line in regards to how those fundings are going to be appropriated, if they're going to be uh, beneficial to the student. I think it's great to, to offer parents in the inner cities an option on where they are allowed to uh, send their children in regards to the voucher program itself. So I think, well, options are, I think options are always good. There's always going to be pros and cons to any program that's trying to be implemented. Um, 
but I believe that it, it offers people choices, and choices always bring hope. Okay, so what do you think about some of the schools where, okay, let me tell you, it takes a lot more than a voucher. Can we right. have a noise problem? Can somebody uh, check your noise? Okay, do understand it takes a lot more than just that. It takes a commitment of somebody who could drive them back and forth, pick them up, bring them back, lunch. I mean, at the same time, we have people in Washington, D.C. right now who want to bet and destroy uh, the lunch program. They say, well, how come they can't just eat? I heard one congressman say, well, why can't they just eat at home? Why do they have to eat at school at all? I mean, they could just come to school and they've already eaten. What's wrong with that? That's what we used to do. I mean, so we have a government that's totally out of touch, and there's a lot of money on the table. So they really see it. And I love what the gentleman said from Sacramento when he mentioned that you've got teachers who are teaching to two and three and four different languages, teaching with language barriers within the class. I mean, listen, if it weren't for the TOEFL, do you hear me? If it wasn't for the TOEFL test, that means that a person who speaks Chinese or Spanish, if they are not literate to the point of passing that TOEFL test at a, a 87%, then none of us can have higher learning. Do, do you guys realize that? Well, you know, you know, Barbara, I got I got to weigh in on on the fact that you know um, over the last 20 years there has been heavy immigration into the United States of America. You know, when I was going to school back in New Jersey, and that's like 60 years ago, in New Jersey and Virginia, public education was put there for the public. It wasn't saying how much money the person made. It was saying we're going to educate the public on America. Now, what the what the young lady said about, you know, choice being changed and, and, and change is is good and there's always a challenge. That that I could that that I can I can concur with because when you downsize the inner city in the urban city, when you downsize hear hear me carefully, I'm, I'm trying to make this as clear as what I can see. When you're downsizing and you're creating a new generation, a new population. Then there's things that come in new because they're saying the old system is not working. Well, the old system is not working because you're changing the community. What did they take out of the inner city community that we fought for as African Americans back in the 70s and 80s? We fought to put black education into the public school system, black well, history into the public school system. And here, I'm going to close right here. When we got the black history into the school system, it became a requirement in the public high school system for you to have completed a black history course to graduate. In today's society, in today's society, it's not occurring. It's occurring in American history because you've got to get a voucher to go to school. I'm going to leave it right there. Y'all, y'all go ahead and table that. Okay. Yannette, um, I want to come back to you. So in your the service that you provide to businesses, do you think that is something that could help that philosophy or that discipline could help our youngsters understand the necessity of being successful in school no matter what? 
I mean, it's not like it's a if you feel like it or if your aptitude is up to it. It is a yes, you will. How can how can what you do transcend to parents to be able to give to their children who are not doing well or who are not focused? Okay. Um, that's a great uh, statement and comment. Um, and I'd like to say that restricted access to education is one of the surest ways to transmitting poverty from generation to generation. And education is a vital human right, and it plays a key role in human, social, and economic development. Now, for change management, the change management philosophy is being able to organize people and motivate people so they can reach a common goal. And it also builds a strategy for educating employees, parents, leaders about how their day-to-day responsibilities will change and a solid plan on how to measure whether or not the change process is effective and successful. And that's Mm. what I do with my consulting business, is I help people apply their strategy and to make effective changes for their organization. And it will work in academics. It will work in technology. It will work in healthcare. It will work in social media. It will, it will work across diverse platforms. Well, you know, I think it's very interesting. I want to go back. I know the gentleman is still with us from Sacramento. I want to get his comment uh, uh, on this comment I'm about to make. Okay, so in covering through this radio show, I've had the privilege, Rodney and I have done almost 200 shows, and uh, we're both from the Bay Area, love Oakland, and you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a school in Berkeley right now that has a department for African-American studies. We have an opportunity to have some of those wonderful, highly educated, uh, I mean, just polished and professional young people on our show, Straight Talk. And uh, they were explaining to us how um, the uh, department had no uh, person to, of color to lead it. It was being taught through the eyes of Caucasians. And uh, the problem with that is... Um, it just did not seem genuine, nor was their commitment up to getting the information out. That's number one. Number two, right down the street in UC Berkeley, where I also attended when I was a young girl, can we now believe that you, and we have a noise problem, can you believe that UC Berkeley right now doesn't have enough to have a BSU? UC Berkeley right now has 57% of, age, of Chinese students, and then I think it's 37 um, white students, and I think there is 2% Hispanic and then 1% African American. So, I mean, we are really in the upper echelon of some of these uh, universities and some of the opportunities that are presented by being in these beautiful universities. We're not getting that opportunity. Now, I want to go to the brother in Sacramento, and I want to make this mention to you. What I've noticed is in some of these high school and junior high programs, people of color tend to be a little bit more, um, we have developed skills that the average child does not uh, develop. And these are uh, skills 
uh, because we are coming up in a country that does not necessarily promote us. So when you're not being promoted, you learn different ways of communicating. You learn different nuances. You pick up on things. And I think it's very interesting that a lot of these textbooks are put on digital devices. And I think they're introduced too early in the game. And I think the required courses, when you put English lit and you put English uh, uh, 1 and 2, and then you put geometry and algebra and algebra 1 all on the cell phone, all on a digital uh, uh, platform, for a middle schooler and a high schooler in 10th and 11th grade, I think they're doomed to not succeed because, excuse me, at the same token, it creates that distraction. And the distraction and the lack of discipline is where we fall short. Now, Sacramento, I'd like you to uh, tell me, what do you think about that and how would you address that going forward, uh, voucher or no voucher? Go ahead. Well, back up a little bit. I am originally from Oakland. I grew up there, went to school there, went to Cal State Hayward. Uh, my oldest son went to, used, I went to uh, Berkeley, graduated from Berkeley. Uh, I've got four kids. Three of them are all college graduates. Um, my middle son is getting his contractor's license. So my family values education, uh, and we... Uh, we, we do our best to make sure, no matter what circumstances have been, that our kids uh, were able to get a good education and uh, paid studious attention to what they were doing and to, to be able to succeed. Um, all of my three of the kids, they all have um, at least master's degrees. My oldest son is a physician. Uh, he's a radiologist. So I have, I, I've, uh, and I think both Sharnice and Yannette can um, uh, also uh, apply to that because they she, they all know my children. Um, and uh, so uh, as far as the younger kids, in, in terms of the devices, they are a distraction, but they are the wave of the future. Uh, I, I really think that uh, colleges and, and um, Studying um, uh, will be uh, on devices, and I don't think there's any way we can get around it. I don't think the classroom is going to be what the classroom has been. I think the education will be online, and I think that uh, it's just something that we're going to have to get used to. Uh, just like internet, the internet, tw internet 20 years ago, everyone was saying, no, 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 it, it wasn't going to happen, uh, but it's here. And, and, and it, I think it's like a freight train. We can, we, can, we can shake our head and say it's not going to happen, uh, but it's going to happen, and we're going to have to be able to uh, work with our children to give them the discipline uh, to make sure that the devices that they're using and, and, and the way that they're using those devices are going to be uh, what we uh, want from them as parents. I would agree with you. But I also say that there are places I could, I could name a few, uh, uh, forgive me, Rodney, for using this term, but I could, I could think in Sacramento of a few black holes when it comes down to uh, the schools, uh, their ability to, I mean, Sacramento County, I have a son right now. My son uh, is a, um, he teaches in a very a difficult um, district in Sacramento. I don't want to say which one it is, but it's a very difficult district. And um, there are difficult districts 
all over the United States. And the Absolutely. Problem is, the problem is, is that the fundamental values that are, that, that are necessary to give the children uh, to fall in love with learning is missing. The love, and I think even when we get, and I hold black, I hold black men and black fathers accountable for this, because I think it's also important for even though you're working, and even though Yannette, uh, even though they're furthering themselves in terms of every day, they're working, they're supporting, they're doing what they have to do, but you still have to continue to learn, and that's what we cannot allow ourselves to do, whether we are purposely dumbing ourselves down or whether we allow all of the various requirements of life to keep us from going back to school. We need to take that step and make the example for our children to let them know that that is more important than money, than sports, than any commitment you can make. And, and, and I, wanna, I, I think we have another caller here. I want to get to this caller. Thank you for your comment, Sacramento. Hey, you're on Straight Talk Live. Uh, have a question or comment for our panelists tonight? Uh, no, I'm just sitting here listening. Oh, very good. And wait a minute. This sounds like someone I know. Is this, is this, uh, uh, is this uh, Lorenzo? Can I hear you? Yes, it is, ma'am. How are you doing this night? Uh, hi, Lorenzo. So nice to hear you. Hey, everybody. Thank this you. is Lorenzo. He comes on a Monday, Monday night, and he is teaching by his family. He is calling in from Thompson Politics. So uh, we're discussing education. You're right there in Thompson. What do you think would improve the education system in L.A. right now? Give us like two minutes. Well, right now I, I feel the um, educational system in Los Angeles, in a way, I'm, I've been actually to these um, different locations. I've been doing brother-to-brother mental health uh, circles because in Los Angeles it's a lot of you know, we don't talk to each other no more. And the reason why I'm saying right. on this I need you to speak up because what you're saying is so important. You can't hear the question. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Much better. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was saying that I work, I actually, uh, doing a pilot in Los Angeles County. Uh, it's called Brother to Brother Black Men's Mental Health Awareness Circle. Where we just, I just go around, I can gather up young brothers, older men in different groups, and we just talk about them and brainstorm. And that's the like, part of the education that I was talking about. What we have to do, how to, what we've been doing, our plan to find out what we can get to that. You know, a lot of times, people are scared of something new. You know, they're so afraid of the new stuff. They're so inclined to what's going on now. So um, the method that we've been doing is breaking the cycle. Breaking the cycle is just sitting down there and talking, finding out what they really want out there as education. Uh oh, we don't hear you again. Go ahead. Break you don't hear, can you hear me? Yeah. No, can't. we really can't hear you. Okay. Really... Yeah, I'm so sorry. I must be on my old. See, this is the Obama phone, y'all. So y'all got to uh, oh, y'all got so to bear so with me. Okay. Well, you know, Obama was heard very well. You might be on the George W. Bush phone. but uh, okay. uh-huh. You got that right. You're right about that. That was George Bush's phone. But everybody called it Obama uh, phone. Absolutely. We <laughs> love what you're doing and love that. We love the circle of healing because we're doing that in Oakland with 1,000 mothers to prevent violence. We're finding that getting little circles of people to talk to each other, share experiences, and share what's working 
and what isn't working is the most powerful gift we can give to one another. And I really appreciate you for saying that, and I appreciate you calling in. We love you, everybody. Monday night, 7.30, right here, same day, same time. Austin, politics. All right, okay, so I want to uh, go back to Shanice. So, Shanice, now that we've talked to several different people in different parts of California, we're starting to see that there's a deficit in almost every county we've talked to. And uh, we're aware of it, whether we have kids that are participating in it or not. Now, we had a gentleman on from Sacramento, and, you know, he is really um, uh, one of the few that are very successful with each and every one of his children. And I'm not saying that he is um, uh, the only family that is successful, because I know that's a successful, successful family. Uh, and oh, he did. It is the media that makes us think that we're not producing graduates and doctors and lawyers and scientists, and we know that this is happening. But, Shanice, my question for you is this. How do we break the cycle for the people that don't have a shot? Because that is the problem. We have to, just because my kid made it, it, I have to figure out how to make the other kid make it, because if we're the only ones that made it, then what do we do about the ones that haven't made it? Because where I come from, you know, uh, it becomes a dangerous situation. There's a disconnect, and when there's a disconnect, there's danger. You're from Oakland. Tell us a little bit about what you think about that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to personally speak on my personal um, experience. Growing up in my household, education was not something that was mentioned or stressed or talked about or encouraged. So uh, I believe that goes on in a lot of households. If you're not introducing this to your children at a very young age, if they're not seeing you as someone who is educated or find education important, they're simply not going to think uh, in those terms of education. And so I think it's so important because it does take a village. That's number one. It takes a village. Um, We have to have a village mentality. If I encounter someone or know someone who has not uh, been thinking on the long lines of education, it's up to me as an individual. And as my sister was stating, we are all have the ability to be change agents. I had to be able to go into that person's life and, and be able to change the mindset of, that, of the children. And it could be the children, the young adults in the household, or even the adults in the household. It has to start with someone in order to break the cycle. And in our case, it started with me and my sister uh, to break the cycle. Because it takes a village, and if you're not if you're not in an area that's conducive to education, if you're not being introduced to it at a young age, and I think the importance of it, if it's not being taught or, or teach or preached about, then you're going to less apt to even think that it's important. And that's like you said, we have to break the cycle. We have to let children know and young adults know as well as grown folks know the importance of education. Education is to empower us, to enable us, to equip us, to make us um, assets to society, to our families, to our neighborhoods, our communities, and our churches. And I think it's very important that we need to get the message out there even in a very big way. So how about this? Uh, Rodney, what do you think, and the gentleman from Sacramento, uh, what do you think about uh, tutoring? 
I mean, you know, I believe personally in private school. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I don't even trust the public system anymore. I believe in private schools, and that's what I'm doing. But what do you think about tutoring? Uh, Rodney, did you do it for your children? And then I want to go to the gentleman in Sacramento. I want to find out what was the secret, the secret ingredient that made it happen. Rodney, what was your secret well, ingredient? Well, you know, you know, I, I, I have to, you know, accepting the change of what what's occurring with the advancement of of just general education is what I think many of Americans are having a challenge with. The African American family is having a challenge, I think, with the fact that we are looking at the fact that we didn't have a history. And when we did start establishing the history and saw our kids wanting to achieve, the history was taken down again. So let me just just say this. So when it came down to tutoring, when my children – we're going to school. I mean, they're they're grown now with degrees and and moving on forward in their lives. They all made it through college. It's like nine. Well, seven of the best family has has gone through there. But I didn't I didn't feel like the tutoring was something that would assist. What I felt that could assist was me redirecting myself and giving more family time for homework. Now, if I couldn't understand how the how the lesson was being administered from the teacher, then I made a meeting with the teacher to say, okay, share with me what it is that you want the child to achieve. And I did that on several occasions. Now, I, I, I can't say I never turned to tutoring. You know, I, I thought about it one time, but it just didn't fit. But I, I say if I put myself in there and showed them how much I really prided them in taking forward, but the most important thing, Barbara, I was showing them how to get a solution, how to have a different behavior of education, not to fear it, not to say I don't understand it, but how to start asking questions, how to stand as the educator and elaborate to say, teach me to understand this the way that you're giving it to me. And and, and they, they did pretty good. Well, you know what? I will really, I, I really uh, commend you because uh, the uh, art and the ministry of presence, being present and being accounted for and letting them know that they can lean on you, uh, that is something that is absent in many of our people, you know, because we're already inundated with just making a living and commuting, and it's already difficult enough for parents. I want to give you a list here. I want to go to the gentleman in Sacramento, get that in secret ingredient, but I want to start off with this list. I have a list here. Ladies and gentlemen, hey, everybody, you're listening to www.t25cl.com, and you can go there and download music, check out our website, look at the film, United We Stand. Let's talk a little bit about the 10 reasons why our school system is failing. Parents are not involved enough. Schools are closing left and right, and our schools are overcrowded. Technology comes with a serious downside, and there's a lack of diversity in gifted education. Okay, I want to go to the gentleman in Sacramento. Could you tell me what your secret ingredient was, and did you include tutoring? 
Well, I think it was a lot of luck, and with God's help, uh, my children were uh, phenomenal. I don't know that it was anything I did specifically any different than any other parent other than being there for them when they needed me. Uh, one of the what, one of the things that uh, I spoke with my oldest son with uh, just a week or so when he was visiting, uh, one of the things that he shared with me was uh, the fact that uh, he saw a black man get up every day and go to work with a suit and tie on uh, at a young age was one of the things that kind of uh, put in his mind that uh, he could do something and do more himself. And Wow. Uh, which was very touching, as you might imagine, to me, uh, for for someone, and he, he's in his uh, 40s now, to be able to um, share with me those things that uh, kind of help focus and uh, drive him to to be the man that he is today. And um, with the other children, um, it wasn't so much tutoring, so to speak, but, um, you know, the, um, and I can't say expectation, but the uh the feeling that they had, that they, the drive that they had to know that um, um, that, that was something that uh, the family wanted for them uh, to do. And they respected the family enough to be able to uh, bear down and, and, and do the hard work to get the education that they have. And they all have uh, wonderful families and uh, they're moving on with their lives. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, it's a wonderful thing that you've done, and we commend you. You know, um, for myself as a single parent, I, I didn't really uh, in that set out to be a single parent. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the person, my children's fathers passed away. So it wasn't something that I set for myself. But what I did learn from that is that I had to press on as if I were two people. I had to press on as if I were male, female. I had to press on with all examples, with the throttle to the metal, yes. I had to press on no matter what and set that good example, even though sometimes I was afraid, sometimes I'm, I'm in tears, sometimes I feel like I'm not making it, sometimes I'm challenged, but we still have to. And the interesting thing about what you've done, Jeanette, is you've chosen uh, not only to run your own business and have an entrepreneurial side, uh, which really isn't really taught in higher learning. You know, I've run my own business for 25 years. Rodney's run his own business. And I think that our kids would be more apt if we were able to teach ancillary classes that would allow them the opportunity to learn how to run their own business, to learn how to be a photographer, or to learn how to be a, 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 um, a, a video, videographer, something that would allow them to be able to set their price, make a great living, and move forward. What do you think about the education system in the sense that it really doesn't teach what is necessary for a real career? Uh, what I would like to say is that um, you had a really good point, Barbara, when you were saying that the virtual side of, of technology and the virtual side of education has a downside. And I would agree with you on that because about three or four years ago when I was attending Florida State College in Jacksonville, uh, they decided to implement algebra online. And you would, it was a hybrid situation where you had maybe 35, 40 minutes in the classroom and then they would slap you on the computer and then you had to figure out algebraic 
equations online by yourself. And for someone who, as an adult learner like myself, my head was spinning. So right. the foundation of education, as you were mentioning, is extremely important in the classroom. Starting on the elementary level, we have to go back to the chalkboard and build a foundation, build strong learning and comprehension skills, reading skills, mathematic skills. And like you said, um, global learning online is already effective in the classroom, which is fine, and it has its place. But to build that foundation of basic learning, I believe that digital learning is good, but it does not need to be introduced before they get to the third or fourth grade, maybe the fifth grade. Um, virtual learning is, is now. It's happening. All classrooms are interactive. All classrooms have those LCDs larger than life. All classrooms have access to computers. So there's no getting around that. So in recent years, globalization has come into a focus, generating considerable interest and controversy in the social sciences, humanities, policies, and among um, informed public at large. So we do have to be concerned about digital learning and the aspect of it and when it is introduced into the classroom. I do believe they need to build new policies regarding virtual and online learning. Now, on a, a higher level of education, on a university level, it's a great tool. It was uh, great for me to be able to access college online in my spare time um, in different locations and not have to sit in the classroom. So virtual learning has its place, and we do need to build funds. And I, and I want to say that um, we cannot leave the poor behind. We cannot leave the single parents behind. We cannot leave Africa behind. We need to start pouring. We need all of our philanthropy to start building money into public education, charter schools, um, magnet programs. You know, Oprah Winfrey erected one school in Africa. That is not enough. We need more millionaires to get involved in putting money into our schools. And well, well, bar-trained conductors should not make more money than teachers. Okay. Becoming a professor of education is an enormous task and a task <laughs> that takes passion. And teachers should definitely make more money than bar-trained conductors. Well, now, I used to be a train operator. Rodney, she just stepped on the wrong toe now. Ah! Yeah. I know. Hey, hey, Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Wait a minute. She just, oh, wait a minute. Oh, really... What did she say? No. Oh, education. my goodness. Hey, well, okay. Education. Education. education, Barbara, used to be a choice, a chosen career. People yeah. that went into education went in there with a passion that they were humble to give themselves back to say, I'm going to help someone come forward. Yes. It, wasn't about, it wasn't about how deep their pocket was until, until this, 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 this society starts saying, and we need, we, 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 everything's about money. It's the same thing that moved the Raiders into Las Vegas. Yeah, it's about the entertainment. We need more money. We need more money. And see, we are following that. Yeah. Teacher don't need more money. The teacher needs to be able to allow the class to respect her, to respect him, 
to accept in their community that they can't advance. Everybody can't make it. Everybody might not make it. But that doesn't mean that because you're teaching that it's your fault. So you got to get paid more money. I'm not saying they shouldn't be paid. Now, don't, 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 hear, me, don't hear me wrong. Maybe we need to, hey, Barbara, how about this? How about if we lower the cost of living uh, 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 requirements within within uh, the United States? Let's bring down the level. Why, why are we paying $900,000 for a house? What? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we've gotten we've gotten out the short end of the stick. But I, I want to come back and just relate a couple of things just right quick. Uh, we're almost at the end of the show, and this has been a monumental uh, effort to get, and what has been great about it is we've been able to get people from different locations. This is actually the idea of this show, is to be able to get different people from different parts of the country to talk about the problem so that we all know. And I want to just say this to my white brother. You know, we have had this this competition between African Americans and and whites and Latinos in, in the sense of, you know, well, the white brother's getting all the breaks. You know, he's got the best schools, which he does. And, you know, he's got the best teachers and he's got the best curriculum. And then, you know, so we now have to have something that is going to be uh, similar or we got to be able to get in with them. You know, we're, we're, we're misinformed completely here in America. We're still thinking that we have the best, and we're still not understanding that the world has surpassed us. The Indian brother is way more intelligent in terms of what he has learned, and, and the, the Chinese brother, they're coming here, and they're taking the jobs, that are $200,000 and up right away from us. We don't have them anymore. This is what's happening. And we're looking at this with our very own eyes, and we don't see that these people have already got their master's. When they're yep. They've already got the PhD. They've already gone through the high, higher learning uh, a preamble. And now they are in our country working. See, that's what we don't see. That's We're so worried about who's going to climb over the wall and pick grapes. We haven't really looked at the fact that there are people that are taking our entire futures away from us, and I think we really need to think about that because that is what the, I think it's called the 3N visa, 3BN, uh, 3NI visa. I can't call the name of it, but you guys know what I'm talking about. I, I, I encourage you to look it up. Now, I want to go back to you, Yannette, and that comment about bar train operators. Okay, let's <laughs> You better hope that the bar train operator gets the money they get. <laughs> operator. And let me tell you something. The train, oh, my goodness, 450,000 people travel through the tube at a tune of 110 miles an hour on a 10-car train. Let me tell you something. You best believe that there's a crack in that tube, if there's an accident that that train operator is about one out of five people with a 10-car train that's going to get you off the train. There are three people on the train. The train operator, there are two plain clothes people and one yellow jacket when you're on that packed train. So that all those people, there's only one person that's got the key to get you out. Now, let's make sure they get $100 an hour because if I get in the tube, I want to know how do I get the other boy. I'm not opposed to the bar train conductors making as much money as they do. I'm saying that professors of education, you know, teachers that make less than $40,000 a year, 
They, no, no, they deserve more than that. No, listen, Jeanette, it took four months of training. Every day that I went, I went six days a week for four months. On the third month, they flipped it to coming at night. With no days off, you just had to start coming at night to see if you were fatigued. Every Friday there was a test with your check ready. If you got 85% or less, you were fired. You were let go. After that four months, then we had a, a oral interview and we had a manual interview. Let me tell you something. There is nothing in this world outside of flying a plane that is harder to do than drive a BART train. And unfortunately, just like your mother was great at what she did for you, a BART train operator is so good at what they do that you think that nothing is being done. And BART neglects to teach people the complications of the train. So can you believe when I was a train operator and I come through and the door wouldn't open, I have a whole bunch of people telling me, look at me in the eye, could you hurry up? Could you get the door to open? My door won't open. Not understanding that if the door doesn't open, the brakes ain't working either. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, exactly. That means that the whole train has locked up. So, I mean, <laughs> to figure it out. Those bar train operators are worth every dime they get. Now, I'm going to let you say what you had to say, but let's not talk about the bar train operators. <laughs> Lord have mercy. And they do deserve their pay. I'm just saying that teachers also deserve to be paid better on, on a national level. You know, even college professors with PhDs, they don't make as much as, as train, uh, bar train conductors. College professors have to teach five and six classes just to earn a decent living. And we're talking about people who are passing on knowledge to, for generations to come. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying decrease the pay for bar train operators. Please don't do that. But what I'm saying is we need to bring the professors of education up to a level beyond, above poverty so they can afford to live and feed their families. And so they won't come to work disgruntled because they can't pay their visa bill. So they don't come to work disgruntled because the bar train conductor drives a Mercedes and they drive a beat-up Chevy. We want to pay but, our educators. That's what see, I'm that's saying. I want more money that's for the material. educators. Yeah, but okay, see, that's a material comparison. That's a material okay. comparison that the media and those that have it, that's the, the material comparison they're given to the kids that confuse them as opposed to what their education is supposed to be about. My education wasn't about the fact of getting a Mercedes Benz. My education when I was growing up was getting some property when I got out of school, getting some property, having a family. They but, you know, oh, we all have the material we have things that are in front of these kids today is tough. It's, I mean, it's, everything's material. Uh, Jordan shoes, these shoes, that shoe, this this skirt, this this pocketbook. I mean, why are we focused as Americans on the material and not on the educational? Well, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Uh, I want to go back to Shani's. We're at the end of our program. Uh, matter of fact, uh, let's go with our gentleman. Oh, wait a minute. We've got a couple of callers here. Let me see who this is. Hey, you're on. Hello. The- Great talk. How are Hello. you? Hello. Hello? Yes. Yes. Hello? 
Yes. Did you have a question or a comment? Uh, a question and comment. Go ahead. Well, first I want to say congratulations, Jeanette. Can you hear me back there? Yes, yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, first I want to say congratulations. And I also want to ask you, okay, I know you're from California, but uh, coming from, um, uh, where, where did you come Florida. from? Florida. Florida, right. Coming from Florida back to California. What kind of transition was that? What did you go through as far as coming back? And I, I know that I, you told me about school and everything, but sometimes we tell people that it's like, okay, you're going back to school. But uh, what kind of transition did you have to go through coming back from Florida to California? And also, I want to ask you, what kind of support did you have uh, going through school? I know that you have a child, and that can be uh, hard on you as a single parent because I'm a single parent, and I also want to know, um, as far as the support, what did it come from friends, family, school, or what? What can I do that? Okay, the transition I made, um, I lived in Florida for 20 years, and I thought the grass would be greener coming back to California, being closer to my family, uh, re- um, developing relationships and things like that. Um, because I've been independent 90% of my life, <laughs> it was not a hard transition. The hard part was um, getting accustomed to the cost of living, getting getting accustomed to the relaxed corporate culture, getting accustomed to still being basically by myself, I, I you know, even though my family is here. Um, so it was just a transition that when I started looking for employment, I got employed within six weeks, which is normal for me. I have great skills and education. Um, but I got off BART in San Francisco, and I thought I was in a zoo. And I got a little nervous, but my mind said, Yannette, only the strong survive. And I just hit the pavement, went to my interviews, and made it happen. And that's just the type of person I am. That's the type of spirit I have. I don't believe in being weak. I don't believe in being selfish. And I believe in empowering other people um, on my journey. So the transition has been a very powerful experience, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful to have met people um, uh, with Ashford University. I'm grateful to have met people in my community um, and in the corporate office that I support. I'm very grateful for the, the, the experience. Absolutely. I'd like to pose that question also to Shani. Shani, you also uh, talked just a mere bit about going back to school and what that really afforded you, but you didn't really talk about the challenge. Could you just give us in two minutes or less how did you get over? What did you have to do? What were your sacrifices? And what is the outcome going to be of your uh, uh, higher learning pursuits? That's a really good question. At the time of my decision to go back to um, further education and pursuing of my BA degree, which I'll be receiving my uh, bachelor's in uh, leadership organization, leadership, business leadership and organization, 
Um, the, the challenges were not as much as it could have been if I was rearing, still rearing younger children. It was just being my 15-year-old. I had no distractions. I thought it was a great opportunity for me to reinvent myself. Uh, the timing was perfect. Um, I was able to work nights and sleep days, and being able to go to Ashford University, an online institution, uh, was great for me because it allowed me to really uh, kind of work not, only, not really at your own pace, but at a pace that was conducive to my lifestyle, as well as being able to attend classes at, in the, the luxury of my own home, at Starbucks, um, and transit, uh, and things of that nature. So. It, it was really good timing for me as a 48-year-old woman uh, with only a 15-year-old at home. I didn't have the distractions. So it, it was, came at a perfect time for me because you see that the economic system that we are involved in is, is really um, demanding that we have a, a higher education in order to afford the life that we uh, not only afford the life, but just having a more enriched, empowered life that at a degree allows you. It affords you to have a more enriched, empowered life. It's a tool that we need in order to get into the doors that would otherwise be shut to me. So I just think that it was just a great opportunity. I was just really inspired by my sister, and she was a great encouragement, and she's been encouraging me every step of the way. It's been a little over a year now, and it has totally, I think education is such a valuable thing to have. When we are educated as women, as black women and women in general, we become a great asset to our families, our communities, our churches, our children. We leave a great, rich legacy for them, and it just empowers us. And it's nothing like being educated and being able to uh, just be able to interact with different people, different cultures, and be able to feel like you can pretty much stand on your own two feet and really bring something to the table. Oh, I just say congratulations, Miss Evans. I didn't know she was there. Yeah, thank you. Charney's oh, Evans. He's talking about myself. My last oh. name is Evans. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. And I just wanted to thank all of the callers tonight for your patience and for your input. And, I mean, it was just, we learned a lot. We learned a lot, and we also have been empowered by the testimonies of Yannette and Shanice, two ladies who have pursued through um, getting their higher education through a commitment through Ashford University. And I also have recently graduated from Ashford, and I tell you, it was such a grounding Thank you, thank you. It was such a, and I want to thank God because without Him uh, steering me in the right to be able to see all of these wonderful, uh, see a beautiful, excited, hopeful faces that were about uh, maybe forty-five percent of fifteen hundred. That was the shock. The shock was knowing that all those people I have been talking to in the classroom and online were looking just like me. It was just really very, very empowering. So I want to take a moment and thank Ashford University for first off including me, making it possible. The journey wasn't easy, but anybody within the sound of my voice, I guarantee you, if you give it a shot, call a counselor, try to make this happen for yourself. It will change your life. It will change your life and open up the door. Definitely life-changing. 
That's right, new and more beautiful, more consummate future, more secure future, and that's really what we're looking for. And uh, anyway, I want to thank the gentleman from Sacramento for being so candid, for sharing his experiences. I want to uh, thank the other gentleman from Sacramento. Shani, I want to give yes, two minutes to just uh, uh, love on the audience and let them know something uh, exciting in your near future. Tell us a little bit about what you're looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to taking all the um, the education that I have gathered in the past year or so and also the skill sets as well as everything that's been poured into me through Asher University and all the classes that I've taken. And you said a very good uh, – you said a word that I've neglected to speak on, which is the sacrifice, that we do sacrifice, but it's well worth the sacrifice. What you get in return is well worth it to, for my children to see me excel, to see me apply myself, to see me persevere through all the hardships, through every obstacle that tried to come my way the past year and a half that I was able to overcome each and one of those obstacles to achieve the goal, which is to get my, my BA degree, and also um, to take that further. And like you said, it opened so many doors that were once closed to me, and I just feel empowered. I feel that I'm able to stand amongst the greatest of the greats and be able to compete in the, you know, the, the, the world of, of working and the world of education. And I have been empowered to do that through going for my higher learning and achieving my degree. And I just expect to be able to take my degree into areas that I've already been able to work in, but I'm able to take that degree and take the skill set and go much higher in the, in the companies that I'm able to work in. And that's what I'm that's, looking forward to. That's beautiful. And, I, and I'm glad that you are now my uh, university system. So I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be making it down again for that, Masters. I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, yes, and you're welcome to call into the show anytime. Yannette, I want to come back to you, and I want to thank you for uh, giving us uh, such a candid opinion, uh, for sharing your uh, – wrap it up in two, uh, two minutes or so. Let people know how they can contact you in your business and uh, what is new and up in the next, uh, what is your next level of success that you're shooting for? Go ahead. Well, that's, well thank you uh, for the extra two minutes. I just want to reiterate that education is a vital human right, and it plays a key role in human, social, and economic development. Um, my business is Real People Consulting. And my email address is realpeopleconsultingllc at gmail.com. Or you can reach me via my cell phone, 904-450-0928. I just want to encourage anyone listening to go back to school. It is never too late. And it is vital that you do so because the economics of this nation is not going to change. The cost of living is not going to change. But what can change is your mind. You can build on your knowledge and your skills via education. And I also have, I have my master's degree with Walden University, and I'll be enrolling in the Ph.D. program later on this year and getting my doctorate degree in industrial organizational psychology. Because education, number one, is a passion of mine, and number two, as I said in my alumni speech, um, for the graduation at Ashford, is that knowledge is better than gold. It is more valuable than gold. 
And as that young man said, his grandmother told him, you may not have any money, but you can learn and teach yourself and feed your mind. Thank you. I love it. Thank you so much. God bless you. Love you. And you know what? You're a friend of the show. We love you in the penthouse. You just brighten up everything. Rodney, was this not superb? Did you enjoy this, Rodney? Hey, this was this was this was really really great, and uh, you know, it's, I think it's something that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. And uh, you know, just to piggyback, you know, I was raised by a single parent, my 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 mother, and uh, she did not. Uh, she got into school that she was going for her uh, licensed uh, practical nursing degree at 40 years of age, and she suffered a severe heart attack at 41 years of age, and she lived until she was 81, even though they had given her uh, a year to live after she had the original surgery. So, you know, she she raised me, my brother, my sister, because her, her and my dad separated for 25 years. So from age 5 to 25, I was fatherless, but I had a, I had a mother that taught me responsibility and also accepted the trust. The responsibility and trust was in our household, and me, my, my sister, we achieved in, in higher education and move forward. But I think today what uh, Yvette is doing is something that can bring knowledge to those that are a little less fortunate to, to, to understand where they are in their, in their environment, where they are in their life, and where they need to be in their behavior of dealing with that time in their life. And I think it's really an important thing. And, um, you know, I'm glad somebody's addressing it, Barbara, because if it's not addressed, it's going to get swept under the rug and as change occur, it's going to just continue to leave a little bit of people behind them a lot. Right. Well, you know, I, I thank you all. I, we've had a wonderful show tonight. And, you know, I just want to t- take a moment and just, um, uh, just send out our condolences to those families of the men, the heroes, the real heroes that were on that train in Portland. We just want to reach out and let the families know how much we love, care, and support them for having real heroes in their households to stand in the gap for those two girls on the train. We've got real issues up in Oregon, so those up in Oregon that are calling and within the sound of my voice, watch, listen, and pray. I tell you, we've got a, a, a sea change in the U.S., and with the sea change, we have to be, uh, first off, aware. Second off, we have to create our circles for empowerment. And third off, we have to pray for protection. All right. So, everybody, we've had great talk uh, with the Hired Fresh tonight. My co-host, Rodney Bass. And I want to just say it's been a privilege. We've had Jeanette Perryman on the house couch. And to all of you, we thank you for your time. It's been a privilege. And to all, a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.